You are listening to Rooted, a leadership lecture series presented by Yale Faith in Action. Yale Faith in Action is an undergraduate organization at Yale University that focuses on Christian leadership development, equipping emerging leaders with the tools they need to make a transformative impact in their future spheres of influence by seeking God and the good of others. What I want to talk about tonight is this idea of rootedness. Okay, the name of our lecture series is Rooted. Right? Chris went in uh, last week to tell you a little bit about YFA and what it means to be unpacked. What do we mean when we talk about being rooted and we're coming to this event and, and kind of how that marks us as, as a ministry, as a gathering of God's people and what we want to do on this campus. Let me go ahead and start us in prayer and then we'll get into it. Lord, we love you and we thank you that we get to gather freely in this room, on this campus, without any kind of fear of persecution, um, that we can come and just hear your word read and taught, that we can stand and sing at the top of our lungs, our adoration for you, and we can do that without reservation. So, Father, I pray as we proceed over the next few minutes that you would Really guide this time and that these would be your ideas and not the ideas of a man. Because we don't need any more ideas of men. We need your ideas, your thoughts, that they would consume us and fill us, inspire us and lead us. So Lord, we ask that you would be here, be present. May your Holy Spirit guide us, reveal, illuminate. Uh, Father, we enjoy you and love you and thank you and praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Have you ever thought, if you were God how you would reveal yourself to your creation, like how you would do that. You ever thought about that? Like what the process was? Are you too scared? You're like, I don't want to even pretend that I'm God because lightning bolts will come down. But it's interesting because sometimes when I, I talk to people that maybe are interested in Christianity or maybe have never even really considered it, one of the things that they say is, why wouldn't God make himself more obvious? Have you ever heard that? And so it's an interesting exercise to kind of sit here and think, well, if I was him, how would I do that? Okay, I have this, this thing I made called a universe, and there's this little globe called the earth. Okay, it's not like it was here and then he showed up on the scene and was like, oh, I need to make myself known. Like, he literally put it all together. And so how does he go about revealing himself? I mean, if maybe if it were you, you would, like, write stuff like on the mountains or something maybe you'd like strategically form mountains to say your name or your attributes maybe as, as people picked up rocks it would be like infinite you know or or powerful and you'd be like oh what's that i wonder who put that there you know you would you think um some intelligent being right but it's interesting because we didn't get like an airplane riding stuff in the sky telling us who he is but he's revealed himself and the interesting way that he's done that is through story that we have collected here the story of God interacting with his people. It's not a collection of a bunch of individual stories of people, but it's God's story of his people and how he reveals himself. The majority of this book is narrative. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that, but it's storytelling. It's re recounting events that have happened in history through story. And every once in a while, we get to kind of listen in as he has conversations with Moses. 
We get to hear these kind of interpersonal communications. We get to hear the way that he communes with David. We get to hear the promises that he makes to people like Abraham. And through those accounts, he's showing himself. He's revealing what kind of God he is. That's pretty cool. And I'm sure if we went around the room right now, as you guys talk about instances in your life where you felt God's presence, or God clearly answered prayer, or God came through and provided in certain ways, or God gave guidance for big questions like go to Yale or go to Harvard or something like that. Obviously, that's a clear one because and we won't get into that. <laughs> but we would have a collection of instances where God showed up in your story and showed his character. And one of the things we find over thousands and thousands of years is his character is consistent. He reveals himself to be the same God time and time again in different cultures, in different eras, under different rulers and kings, through different sinful people, God remains the same and reveals himself consistently. It's pretty awesome. And I think to kind of continue on the questions that Chris raised last week, you know, as he introduced this idea of letting God's word kind of just affect you. He talked with Ezra when Ezra got up to read the scriptures for hours and hours. The people were reacting, and it was much like when we were singing. They were celebrating. They were crying out. They were just really excited for hours upon hours. And the reason for those reactions, as Chris pointed out, was because he was, he was reading the account of their story, of their interactions with God. And it was, it was unique to them, and it, it was stuff that they could relate to. And they were starting to gain an understanding of where they came from, who this God was, and also what was expected of them from that point forward. To know exactly what you're supposed to do with your life, that's comforting, isn't it? How many of you are going, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I don't even know what I want to study. And then once I get the education, now the world tells me since I came from Yale, I have to change the entire landscape of the globe (laughs) to invent Facebook or something that's just profound and just fantastic, right? And if somebody showed up and said, here's exactly what I want you to do with your life, and it wasn't just anybody, but somebody that is more trustworthy than anybody I've ever met. Well, that's God. <laughs> okay. So I think as we go down this road, we have to kind of evaluate the way that we ask the questions. There's this idea we need to understand where we are in the story. And before we even ask that question, we need to identify, am I asking God to participate in my story And am I asking, what is his place in my story or in my life? Or am I asking, what is my place in his story? There's a a paradigm shift that that has to occur if we're going to proceed correctly. And it's it's the latter. It's what what role do I play in his story? Because it's about him, and he's actually the hero. As much as we would like to be the hero and have our own theme music and everything, it's him. He's the hero. And what, God, do you want me to do in your story? And so as we progress, understanding where we are in the story, and I think it's, it's huge, and it was very helpful for me to kind of understand how the story kind of works, okay, the structure of it all. And I don't know if you've ever heard of meta narrative, 
Is that a term that you've heard of? Your Yaleys probably, okay. But that's kind of the, the over story, right? The big picture story. And, and what we truly do have that, that in the scripture there are stories of individuals as they interact with God and God reveals himself to them, but they all point to a larger over story called the meta narrative of scripture. And that basically has four big waves. You have creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. These four big swaths, and a lot of them kind of happen at the very beginning, right? In the beginning of Genesis, you have a lot of kind of the the creation, the fall, and then the rest of that is the sweet anticipation of Christ and the redemption. And then the consummation is one of those things that we have not yet experienced. And so where we are in this story is the already not yet. Okay, we've already experienced the salvation of Christ. We've already... uh, been justified, we stand before God pure and holy as Christ because we have been clothed with with His righteousness. But we haven't yet experienced sinless humanity. So we're in this kind of weird stage of, okay, we've been redeemed, but we haven't experienced the fullness of what Christ has intended for us. And so that's where we, we sit in the already not yet. And so what's our role in the story? Well, we can go back to Genesis and we can kind of get an understanding of how God set things up for us, what role he devised for us to play. And here we have in Genesis um, chapter 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're image bearers. That's our role. So our place is in the already not yet state. And our role is to image God. Well, that's not, that doesn't sound too bad, right? You just have to be imaging God to everything and everyone, right? Well, that's actually kind of, so we should probably unpack. So our... The imago Dei, right? The image of God. That's, that's kind of our mantle. And so how do we fulfill our role? Well, this is where Christ comes in, right? We don't have to do this on our own. There's a, I don't know if you've heard of Athanasius, but he wrote a book called um, On the Incarnation, a powerful, powerful book. And one of the things that he describes in there is this idea of an artist doing a painting, Back in the day when they were doing paintings, they would kind of, you know, somebody would come in and they would sit for their, their image, right, their, their painting, their portrait, and it would take hours and hours and hours, and they would sit there and, and, and it would, you know, turn out really well. And then years and years later, the paint would start to crack and the image would get distorted. And so people would be brought back in to have a second sitting so that an artist could then kind of touch it up and, and kind of make it look like it originally had looked. And what we have in the beginning, in, in the creation, is God is, is revealing himself. We see that even in, in Romans where Paul talks about he, God has revealed himself in creation. And what we have in Christ is a second sitting. through And, and as you read through the Old Testament, you see just distortion because of sin, because of the fall. Right? You see sinfulness kind of well up, God come in, save his people, sin well up. God come in, save his people. And you see this happen over and over and over again. 
And then in Christ, we have a second sitting that God comes and reveals himself because the image has been distorted. And he revealed himself perfectly in Christ. So we now get a clear picture of who God is, what he's like. And so then, as image bearers, we are to be like Jesus. And that's, that's pretty simple. You attend most Sunday school classes, you're probably going to hear that. This idea of rootedness then, to look like Jesus isn't something you're just going to, okay, I'm a Yaley, I can do this. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be like Jesus every day. <laughs> easy enough, right? Well, it's not that easy. How many of you have gotten up with that kind of drive and you're like, this is it. You've had that mountaintop experience. You're like, sin no more. I'm going to do this today. I'm Jesus to everybody I meet. And then the afternoon comes and you look back and you go, what happened? That lasted for like two seconds. So what Paul is talking about um, in his epistles, what, what the Gospels point to, what we have over and over again in the Scriptures is this idea that we need to be in communion, in close relationship with our God through Christ Jesus in order to be like Him so that we smell like Him, so we're the aroma of Christ where we go, so we begin to act and think and behave like Him, and we are being transformed into the image of Christ as we draw near Him. And that's, that's what rootedness is. And this comes from Colossians uh, chapter 2. We studied this last fall. Um, and so in Colossians 2, a little bit about Colossians um, to kind of set the scene is Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae. And it's a smaller little region. It used to be kind of larger. Um, I heard somebody describe it to be similar to Radiator Springs, if you've seen Pixar's movie The Cars. Yeah. That it's been bypassed uh, you know, for commerce that's going to Laodicea. And so Colossae is not as thriving as it once was. But there's a, there's a gathering of, of Christians there that the church planted by Epaphras who had, had sat at the feet of Paul while Paul was in prison and, and delivered this message of the gospel to the Christians in Colossae. And we see through the letter that one of the things that the, that the Colossian church was struggling with was this idea of syncretism. So they, they were trying to synchronize kind of pagan ideologies and philosophies and Jewish ideologies and, and kind of practices and views of God and kind of mesh them with what they had heard from from Paul through Epaphras. And so there was this clarity that Paul's trying to bring to them, and, you, and it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous letter, and it's just powerful because it's true for our time. How many of us wrestle with this idea of allowing the world system and the ideologies of materialism or kind of just consumerism or whatever else, what other isms there are out there that we try to synchronize into the gospel? And one of the things that Paul is driving home is that it's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus. That's it. Salvation through Christ alone. That's the gospel. It's not through Jesus plus do all this stuff to maintain your right standing. It's just Jesus. So that's what he's driving home. And so he says in Colossians here, Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So first of all, how did they receive Christ? Was it that they did good works so that they could then earn salvation? No, they received Jesus Christ by faith 
by trusting that who Jesus was and what he accomplished was by grace. It was a free gift by faith. That's what he's saying. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So we're to walk in the same way that we receive Jesus, which is by faith in the grace that comes in Jesus Christ. And then he gets into these two analogies, rooted and built up. Okay, he's, using, he's drawing on two analogies that he introduced actually a little bit earlier in chapter 1. But this idea of being rooted is kind of an agricultural, you, you, visit, you, you can visualize a tree. Sometimes we have that image. Anybody have a shirt on, a rooted shirt on? Gabe does. Stand up. Make your chest big and broad. <laughs> See, there's this picture, a tree. And there's the top and the bottom. And so the idea that we, we draw from this is this idea of this rooted analogy. Roots do a couple of things, two things in particular. That's they, they go deep into the soil to get nutrients for health, but they also go deep and wide for stability for what's going on up top. Okay, so those are two things that we see Paul drawing upon here. And we see that um, as we, if we're going to go back to Colossians 1 here in a minute. So this idea of being rooted in Christ means, if we take the analogy directly, let your roots, okay, whatever source you have for emotional, spiritual health, let those be running into Jesus, deep into Jesus, so that you are nourished by him and no other ideas or philosophies that may exist out there for your kind of own fulfillment or betterment. But the roots go into Jesus and you're nourished by him, by the grace that comes from God himself, that your roots run deep in him. And the second thing, that as your roots are deep in him, it's going to provide you stability when up top things are going crazy. Whatever circumstances are in your life, whatever attacks you're under uh, from the enemy, from your own flesh, from the world, your roots running deep give you stability and a firm foundation. And then he also uses this idea of being built up, building, having a firm foundation, which is that of Christ Jesus, this foundation um, set by Christ himself. So that's what Paul's getting at here. Let's go, uh, go to the next one. So in Colossians 1, 9 through 12, this is something that Paul introduced at the beginning of the letter, just a chapter earlier. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk. Remember that was also in chapter 2, right? To walk in a manner. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, what? Bearing fruit in every good work. There's that analogy again. When roots run deep and are properly nourishing the tree, they will produce fruit. They will be fruitful, which is what we're intended to do as image bearers of God. Fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power. That's the other analogy. Remember being built up, strengthened, firm in your foundation. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's gorgeous, isn't it? This idea that we, our role in this story... Here's what you need to do, Yaleys, okay? This is what you're supposed to do with your life. This is what you want to be when you grow up, is an image bearer of God rooted in Christ alone. No other source, no other philosophy, no other moralism or just doing good stuff is going to do that. It's being with Jesus. John talks about this in chapter 15, right? 
abide in me. Well, John, it's Jesus' words recorded by John. But Jesus is telling us, abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding, that's also where we get our word abode. To live in Jesus, to have your being in him. Now, some of you are going, that is, I mean, that's really intense, right? I mean, that's what really super Christians do, like the Billy Grahams of the world or whatever. Like they they think and, and think about Jesus all the time, and they tell everybody about Jesus, but that's not my gift. I hate to break it to you, but being an image bearer of God is not like a spiritual gift somebody gets, and then the other people don't have to imitate and project it, you know, Jesus to everyone they see. That's everybody. That's what we're all called to be and do. And so uh, Paul gives us a little bit of help as to kind of what this looks out looks like played out practically. So we've looked at this idea of stability and nutrition leading to fruitfulness. And so how to be rooted in Christ, this abiding aspect. And so there's a couple of things, five things in particular if you're taking notes. But we're to walk in him. Notice that it says in, in both this chapter 1, it says walk in him. In, the, in chapter 2, it also says walk. This is an activity. It's not a passing where you sit on your couch eating Cheetos and just thinking thoughts about Jesus, and therefore you're rooted in him. That's not what it's talking about. Walking, living, Go about your life as you would normally do, shopping classes, going to lunch, hanging out with sweet mates, coming to Rooted, hang, doing, you know, playing sports, going to practice. Walk the life that God has called you to walk, where he's placed you by his divine providence and sovereignty, but walk in him. So what does that mean? What does it mean to just live and walk daily, doing everything you're supposed to do, so it doesn't mean stop living your life as a Yaley and just praying 24 hours a day. It's not what he's talking about. As you go about your normal life, do it in Jesus. How do we do that? Okay, number one, uh, we see this in Psalm 1. Uh, do I have that up there? Okay. Anybody have this memorized, Psalm 1, besides Chris? Okay, Laura. Okay. I'm not going to put you on the spot unless you want me to. But then it's that whole pride thing Josh was talking about. And then you're like, oh, everyone's like, oh, you're so holy. And you're like, no, I'm not. You don't want to do that. I'll just read it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Okay, now we're getting a similar analogy. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So he goes on and in that very first paragraph. He's talking about blessed is the man who what? Walks, okay, not in the council, not in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, delighting in the word of God, in the promises that God has given us in the scriptures. Blessed is the man who does that. What is he like? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that will bear fruit because they'll always have nourishment. Their, their leaves will never wither or dry up. 
So the first thing is to be rooted in Christ, to walk in Him as you live out your life here. It's to be in the Word of God, nourished by the Word of God, because that is God revealing Himself to you day after day after day. Asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see what I haven't seen before. Some of you may have grown up in church and you've read the Bible and, and tons and tons and you know all the old stories and that's great. But there's still stuff that's going to blow your mind. And being in it day after day after day, asking the Holy Spirit, it's a, it's a supernatural experience. Asking God to reveal, illuminate things that you haven't seen before and you will. You'll see that. He'll show you. Okay. Um, also in 2 Timothy, if you hit that, we have this, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's thorough, and it is able to equip you for everything that God has called you to do and be as his image bearers. Okay, the second thing is participation in the body. To participate in this life of faith with other believers. And this, I think sometimes men are more susceptible to kind of do the, the lone wolf thing, but don't. Okay, just don't. It's not worth it. You have to be involved in the body. And go to Ephesians. At the beginning here, he's talking about very specific gifts, but then it, it kind of plays out. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the end game, the fullness of Christ, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We need each other. We're in this. I was just talking to um, a sophomore Bible course today about the importance of when you are spending time in Scripture by yourself to really just Ask the Lord to talk to you and reveal things and to show you things so that when you come together, he will, if he wants you to share that, he'll kind of move and, and that'll come to mind. You'll kind of go, should I? Okay, okay, I'll share that. And you'll think to share what God is kind of doing in your heart. And it, it, often when that happens, there's somebody else in the room that, that, are, that is ministered to and sees the character of God in and through your communication and interaction with him through his word and is then spurred on to greater maturity in Christ because of it. And so that's a, we definitely need each other. So, number one, consume the word of God in order to be an image bearer, to be rooted. Participate in the body. The third one is to seek God. Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. When you think about this idea of seeking, it seems very kind of intentional and it seems very active, right? And I don't know if that's kind of a new thing. It, it certainly was for me because I, I grew up kind of out in Colorado and Montana and it was kind of there was this movement where churches were doing seeker-sensitive services. 
Have you ever heard of that, where like a church does like a, a seeker-sensitive? And what that's implying is that we want to have a church service that is, is comfortable for people that aren't really Christians yet to come to so they don't kind of, they're not like scared off by like our intense love for Jesus or something like that, or, or so that we don't play a song that offends or we don't do something weird that only Christians do and we don't want to scare them away. And so we want to be seeker-sensitive. And that is such a, a miscategorization of what, what seeking means. And I shared this earlier this week with another Bible course that we have to understand rightly that seeking is the business of Christians. That there's only one time where seeking is talked about um, in terms of non-believers, and that's actually in Romans, where Paul says, no one seeks after God, no, not one. He doesn't say that there's this category of people that are kind of interested and curious and checking God out. They're kind of shopping him. No, that's not true. That seeking everywhere else in Scripture is used of God's people that already know him. It's not this once you've found him, okay, the game's over. Like you found him so you don't have to seek him anymore. That's not it. That when, you're, when you've been washed by the blood of Christ and you have new life springing up in you, that begins a hunger for if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you'll want more, as Peter says. And so this, that, that's this idea. So Paul is continuing this where he says, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from you. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image. There that is, image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. It's putting off the old self, putting on the new self. That's the business. That's what we get into when we're seeking after God. So... Seeking God, the fourth thing is put to death sin. I think I really appreciate and I'm thankful for Josh sharing. It's hard to get up and tell people a sin that was once in your life and is still very active. It's a hard thing to do because we'd like to say we've, had, we've conquered it and we've dealt with it and it's, it's over. Notice he says here, be put to death. And, and there's in that this idea of be putting to death the flesh when it rises up, an activity of putting it to death. That when Christ came, died on the cross and rose again, he dealt the death blow to your sin, to all. And for those of us who are in Christ, the death blow has been made, and now we need to be putting it to death until that time when we experience the consummation and we experience sinless humanity. So be putting to death sin. And John Owen says, be putting to death sin or it will be putting you to death. And so we have to, every time it surfaces, every time it rears its head, you confess it, you repent, and you turn to these. That's putting to death, and that's abiding in Christ, and that's walking with Him. Because it's not as though you're going to just kind of deal with the sin issue, kind of wrap it up, and you're good to go. 
You're going to deal with sin tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And as that rises up, be putting it to death. The way you do that, confess it as sin. Confess it for what it is. And say, that will not stand. I am a new creation. I confess that sin. Lord, take care of it and turn to Jesus. Repent, turn away from it, and turn to him and walk with him. And then the last one, put to life righteous behavior. That's kind of the idea. There's a cool analogy that Paul's using here. It's this idea of clothing. He talks about taking off the old self and putting on the new self. And each thing he talks about with his new self is like a new kind of, here's a shirt and a, you know, you got your jacket and your cool socks and putting it all on. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Imagine somebody, it's like a really cold day out, and there's a bunch of stuff on. They, it's just, it's not staying on because they can't bind it, so they get a giant belt, and they kind of wrap it so it all stays on. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ, there that is again, dwelling and consuming the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice he doesn't say, whenever you do your Christian things, but everything, whether you do in word or deed, that pretty much covers, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's walking in him. That's imaging him to a watching world. That is what we have been called to. That is what we mean when we say, be rooted in Christ. Be in his word. Constantly consuming his word. Be in his word with other believers and live your life with other believers. Okay, this is rootedness, seeking him, pursuing him, putting to death sin when it rears up, confessing it, repenting, and turning back to Jesus, and put on these righteous deeds that he talked about. Actively seek to foster those things. 